This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 505 for April 27th, 2016. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Howdy ho, Glenn. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I am... uh, I'm interesting. I had an adverse reaction to an allergy shot yesterday, so I may be incomprehensible today. Oh. I'm fine. It wasn't a heavily one. But like, uh, they filled me full of various medications, and the world was very interesting yesterday. Welcome to a very medicated episode of the Macworld Podcast. I can see you through time. <laughs> uh, Can't talk coming down. Of, speaking of time. Yeah, so this week we're going to talk kind of got a, a hodgepodge of uh, things going on. A lot of backlash. A lot of things we're going to talk about ticking and talking. Not all to do with the watch, but... With uh, Apple's product cycle. We're just going to beatbox for you for a while. A lot of little interesting things. A bunch of hardware talk we'll have, um, but we can start with our usual our FBI update. Uh, <laughs> we need like special, like, bum, bum, we need a theme song, right? Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, music. Uh, It'd be like the Keystone Cops, like kind of fumbly, bumbly sort of. Yeah, it's music. um, it's very funny. I mean, I think uh, so this last week, since we recorded the last episode, it was actually uh, not. That many days uh, after that, so this is old news for most people, but um, just to get people up to speed. No, it was like yep. a Friday night again. This is oh, like it was Friday. Yeah, yeah so stuff it's, uh, keeps breaking on Friday. This yeah, was like Friday at like eight o'clock on the on the West Coast. I think it was really they'd hide it. The FBI is like, hey, some other individual in this drug case in New York where the guy was already convicted, uh, some other individual came <sighs> forward with the pin. Yeah, uh, uh, someone circle. just remembered the pin, even though like the guy whose phone it was, the convicted, um, well, he confessed, the confessed med- meth dealer. He's been saying, you know, this whole time, which I think this case has gone on for, you know, over a year. He's, he's like, I forgot it. I don't know it anymore. I forgot the pin. I don't know it. So all of a sudden, <laughs> someone somewhere remembered it. Um, our good friend uh, Jonathan Zazarski uh, said on Twitter that he was like, yeah, they just they probably bought their way in again, but they can't say that because then, you know, all these future All Writs Act cases are going to be non-starters because they're going to say, look, this happened twice and you bought your way in both times. So just leave us alone and go buy your way in again, even though, you know, that's not great because then we don't know how they got in or who they're dealing with or. Well, then they're lying. Right. So either they're lying in a court filing or they had information they chose not to use. I mean, it's really, you know, every all along, everyone's been saying they've been hunting for a t- test case that they could use. And the FBI hasn't been upfront with judges or Apple or the American public. It's been kind of offensive how transparently, um, you know, almost mendacious they've been. And if they, in this case, if it comes out later that they had the code all along and didn't deploy it, or they hired a hacker, then, you know, that's, I don't know if it's crime or not, but it seems like it sh- they should be sanctioned uh, there should be sanctions and repercussions for lying in court filings and to the American people. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, here's the thing. Uh, I, I think we're also seeing it, it started slow. I think the FBI and the Obama administration uh, counted on normal people, general people, siding on the law and order side. Because America tends to be, in general, a law and order country. And we prefer no one to wants lock- to be soft on crime. Yeah, and we prefer to lock people up and worry about the repercussions later. Especially today with all like the fear-based, you know, information we yeah. have. Although when you drill down, people have different opinions. If you say, you know, it's you can ask questions about our jurisprudence system and say, you know, should 99 guilty people go free to make sure one innocent person doesn't? And people say, no, no, that's terrible. We shouldn't do that. But then you ask them like, well, should someone be sent to jail uh, without proper evidence and procedure and so forth? Um 
where there isn't a you know beyond a reasonable doubt, they'll be like, no, no, that's the that's the foundation of our justice system. It's like, okay, those are the same concepts, they're just presented differently. So I I think as we've talked before, it seemed like uh, there was a perception that the American people to be you know they they figured they do polls and everyone would be like, yeah, FBI, boo Apple, and it would affect things. And instead, I think Apple's uh, position as trying to strike a balance, um, but also protect most people's privacy, the 99.99% of uses that are, you know, legitimate and legal, um, <laughs> whatever. But so I, I think in this particular instance, though, now we have two cases with the FBI said they have exhausted all uh, recourses and they didn't. And the judges are getting pissy about it in their filings. And Wall Street Journal had an editorial, that uh, op-ed piece that was like, or no, editorial, I think, that was... Uh, Saying, uh, you know, hey, this is just getting ridiculous, guys. Like, you're it not. It is. And these not, are like the test cases that they took public. I mean, the ACLU has been working on unsealing cases that, you know, we otherwise wouldn't hear about. And if these are the two cases, I mean, look, so the San Bernardino case, okay, like, I got to give that one props. That's a pretty good case. But this one, like, the guy was already, he confessed his uh, his trial was in the, it's in the sentencing stage. And they're like, oh, we just we just need to get in his phone just in case there's something in there that might be helpful in the sentencing portion of the trial. And it's like, mm, I don't know, that's pretty weak. And it's so it's kind of sad that these are the cases it's bringing public and trying to to use to make its case. Yeah, I think it's uh, well, yeah, it's it's a funny thing is I definitely I think when you look at the whole picture of what Apple and telecoms and other firms are willing to do for law enforcement, both because they are compelled to or because they believe it's the right position for them to be in and they disclose to users that they're doing it. To me, it's like there is a, there's a vast amount of information that can be disclosed. And as we keep finding out, the people involved in uh, terrorism are not usually very good about this. And even the ones who are very good, what they tend to do is not use U.S. manufactured equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they t- and they, or they, you know, in fact, there was something uh, recently it said, uh, I saw this the other day and I, can't, I should dig up the reference. It said, um, Something like nine of the most popular non-U.S. encryption algorithms, uh, like eight are open source, or I, I, I should find the number, but it was essentially saying it doesn't matter if the U.S. passed a law or banned it or whatever. You know, all, the genie's already out of the bottle for being able to make this software. That's uncrackable if you do it the right way. And there's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of it's open source, and a lot of it's non-U.S. So, you know, just we would put ourselves in a weak position. We've talked about this a bunch over the last several weeks. We put American business and individuals at a disadvantage, both for um, commercial spying, uh, you know, corporate espionage, as well as uh, national security issues, um, as well as our own general personal privacy, and for theft and uh, identity theft and um, you know, bank fraud, other things. All of these things come out. We don't get an advantage, and everyone else who's um, trying to commit crime just uses a different encryption algorithm. It's cool. <laughs> it's not, not, not a big deal. You know, they use Android phones instead of iPhones or something if they have to install something or. They use uh, apps that are actually I – mean, so far, this is the thing. The bill that was uh, – that uh, we talked about a few weeks ago, um, the Obama administration has said I guess it won't oppose or support the uh, – uh, what's the – it's uh, – I've forgotten the two people involved in it. But it's uh, it's uh, Nancy Pelosi is partly behind this bill, right? It's, oh, uh, uh, it's uh, <clears throat> Feinstein Burr. Thank you, Feinstein. Oh, Diane Feinstein, brother. Sorry. And uh, uh, so here's the thing. The Obama administration is not going to support, I guess, or oppose it. But that bill, if it became law, um, would ostensibly ban. That bill was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so they're calling right, it like a, a 
what do, what do they call it? like a discussion draft? Yeah, it's <laughs> they rid- had it's a funny ridiculous. name for it. It was like, don't take this too seriously, but what if we did this? And everyone's like, oh, honey, no, that's bad. Technically incompetent. But the thing is, if uh, without that bill in place, even if Apple were convinced or compelled or whatever to change its operating system, um, you can still get apps. Uh, they would have to, you know, the FBI would have to then go to every app maker or tell Apple to ban all apps that actually provided effective end-to-end security. Facebook is not an operating system. So WhatsApp is now at the maximum level of security that's out there. It's like the, one of the most secure uh, communication apps you can get in the right configuration. And uh, so with the FBI or the Obama administration attempt to get WhatsApp off all of the phones in America. Like, so the, the end game is still uns, uh, unsure. So uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this more. <laughs> <laughs> nah, well, let's go on I'm to sure we'll all get be off, started before our next podcast. We'll get off the law enforcement uh, track there. Um, it's so talk- fascinating. Like, it's really interesting. It's way more interesting to me than like half the other like news in the tech world these days. Well, tech, yeah, I mean, tech developments are sort of stagnated. It's like, all right, it's a 12 meg- megapixel camera. Now it's going to be 20. Uh, hooray. But yeah. wait, you know, we're talking about fundamental freedom. Uh, <laughs> something also big picture I thought was worth talking about. It's, uh, ben Thompson uh, wrote a provocative essay about Apple being at an organizational crossroads. And um, it's about Apple and services. We've talked a lot about it. Most Mac Apple podcasts talk about it. Every Mac publication, iOS publication writes about it. General media, who's not even involved in this, writes about it. So Apple is not great at services. They're nope. not good at it. You know, That's kind of Google's main thing. It's one of their biggest um, – I would say its biggest asset against Apple. It's not Android, but its ability to run cloud services. And uh, uh, Ben Thompson argues that Apple's organizational – internal organization – actually fights against its ability to be a good services operator because the things that lead to good products uh, that you make, like an iPhone, do not also, they don't parallel the kind of internal processes you need to create good services that work the way that everyone expects. Yeah, it was a, it's a really good essay. Um, I just read it before we recorded this. So my thoughts on it are still kind of forming. But I mean, I love how he compared it to DuPont's and made a really good analogy there. And then just kind of talked about, you know, some of the things that are holding Apple services back. And that in a lot of ways, it's like a confidence issue. Like it should be mm-hmm. it should be no big deal because the iPhone's so good that, you know, they kind of have a leg up already. These services are so tightly integrated with the iPhone um, and they're so, uh, the, you know, the iPhone's so popular. So I don't know. Maybe it's that, that they don't need to be better. They're kind of like good enough because people are going to use them anyway. But yeah, it is a problem. And then it, he argued that just the perception that they're not that great is going to hold them back on things they could make like a ton of money. Like they're leaving a lot of money on the table because the app store is so bad. And there was a rumor that um, they're going to start charging companies for app store search placement, which I mm-hmm. guess is one way to tackle the problem. Um, but yeah, so that that was one thing, and then you know he talked about how there isn't a Siri API, there isn't like a really simple HomeKit API, and so Amazon's Echo has you know kind of leaped out in front as you know the voice activated um, home automation. Platform. I did not see that coming. I assume that Google, if anybody, would be ahead of Siri, and then Amazon just uh, there's a good article in I'm blanking out where maybe it'll come to me as a fast company. Would be fast company about how Amazon Echo arose from an internal project where it was supposed to be some kind of augmented reality thing, and then 
gradually morphed. It actually was a great parallel between the Fire Phone, which was Jeff Bezos's Homer Simpson car, yeah. where he had all these fixed ideas and they did what he said. And the Echo arose out of iterative product development, where they started with ideas and as those ideas proved to not be good, they abandoned them. And as they got other interesting ideas, they adopted them. So yeah. the Echo, like, for Here's instance, what's really good at. And yeah, even I, when it first came out, I mean, Ben talks about the minimal viable, minimum viable product being yeah. like kind of the way to do services and then just iterate, 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 which isn't really like Apple's thing, even with their software. Like <laughs> they know. take a long time between updates. So, um, yeah, with the Echo, I mean, I remember when it launched, everyone's like, oh, it's just a thing where you can like get the weather and order stuff on Amazon. But now... It, I mean, every week we're hearing about like new stuff the Echo can do. Like now it's 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 really more of a home automation platform, and yeah, you can still do the ordering thing. Um, it, you, you know, it can it can uh, control your Spotify and, and like all your streaming services. That's that wasn't there at launch. Well, and this um, answers the question of like this is the alternative to the app based approach. Is Amazon Echo is full of apps, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not a device you have to carry with you. So I heard a very funny conversation on. Uh, the Upgrade Podcast, which our friend Jason Snell and uh, this was uh, Scott McNulty, written for Macworld in the past, Dan Morin, regular Macworld writer. Um, they were talking uh, in particular because Dan's had an echo since practically the beginning. And they were talking about how switching to um, Wi-Fi controlled lighting. And the problem is you don't have a switch. I mean, some now come with switches, but they're like <laughs> Scott was discussing, explaining to his wife how she wouldn't be able to turn lights on and off without using an iPhone, right? Yeah. And that's I agree, but the it's echo a huge problem, right? So the echo is an interesting bridge because it's always in your home, it's always on, it's always listening, and it winds up. And it's also, to some extent, a like a local and cloud device. So you have to have an internet connection, but it can control stuff around you. So instead of having to use your personal iPhone, or a guest comes over and wants to turn lights yeah. on and off or turn on the music system, this is a communal device. Suddenly, yeah, I could never go all to, in because I had like you know a nanny in my house for yeah, for most of the day, and I was like, I didn't want to have to explain right. to her in Spanish. Okay, like you need to get this app for your phone, and no, yeah, no, no, the, not happening. The, the Echo is a communal device where iPhones and everything else. I really hope the Apple TV would do that when HomeKit came out. The, the, the Apple TV would be the always on, always plugged in, always connected to your network work like you know thing and it has siri now it has a microphone but the microphone's in the remote so we need like you know a microphone like the amazon echo has that would be always listening that's a little creepy for apple although they have it you know with the hey siri and the iphone now so it's not that much of a stretch i guess but yeah they they kind of got jumped for, for on that and that's even like a hardware slash services thing um caitlin wrote up uh, a rumor last week that um they're I guess they're they're doing a lot of back end work on Siri and iCloud oh, because good. of some things, you know, even that Ben Thompson mentioned how, yeah, you're asked to enter your iCloud password all the time at random times and you're like, What's going on back there? Why do you guys keep meeting my password? I, I get less of it. Have you gotten less of it lately too? I've gotten less of it lately. It yeah, so they like. did they fixed something. I was getting like sometimes Every few days or multiple times, I just wrote, uh, there'll be a Mac 911 column up about this. My mother-in-law has an iPhone 6 uh, Plus that she she uses really very little, uh, but we, she carries it with her so we can help track her and she can use mapping and whatever. Right. And she kept getting this error about her iCloud backup space being full and upgrading. And, and my wife, who is cynical like I am in, in, in the right way about companies, said, this seems like a scam. They're just trying to get her to upgrade from the free tier. And I'm like, well, Apple... You know, they might be charging too much for it, but it's not a scam. Finally figured out she'd accidentally recorded a seven gigabyte, five and a half hour movie while it was charging. She just hit the wrong, I mean, she didn't even know she did it. She slid and it hit a record button. Um, and that was, it wouldn't, she had the five gigabyte iCloud tier, oh. but the message wasn't, um, it was, I had to dig through and kind of rethink 
what the problem was, because it showed you had zero used in her iCloud storage, but the fact was you can't disable photo backup. And she hadn't taken any photos, to our knowledge. There were like 20 random images, but that was what it was. I had to finally dig into storage, figure it out, find the offending video and get rid of it. Okay. But it was this weird collection of like, this is a failure state because it didn't say um, – it didn't give me useful information. It just said you can't do this thing and gave me no guidance on how to proceed. And I feel like I'm a little bit of an expert on iOS and um, I did sort it out for which I got nice kudos. Now her iPhone is finally backing up correctly. But uh, Well, anyway, the rumor dispatch. was that there's like two big teams that are working on this and that they're not getting along. Like there's the Siri team and the iCloud oh, yeah. team and there's like office politics. The Siri team keeps losing engineers. So reading Ben Thompson's thing like made me think of that. And, you know, he kind of ended it with like, you know, when is Tim Cook going to figure out like, you know, how, how to work both ends of this puzzle. So... Yeah, I mean, we've got earnings call today, and then um, you know, WWDC is coming up fast, so everyone's yeah, looking to about, Apple to see what they're how they're going to tackle these problems. That's right. We're recording this before earnings, so that's clearly, and we know that the you know that growth is is stalling because the installed base, or I should say, we'll find out. We think this could be is the first one of the first quarters in forever where the the earning the um, earnings goes down. Yeah, I'm curious how much that's been built into the stock price or not, because that's always this weird thing. It's like if everyone knows it's going to happen, usually the it's stock good price. news and it goes down anyway. I know, it's like, <laughs> but yeah, then it bumps it's, back but, like the next day. It's very well, strange. Here's a services thing. I think it's you know it's really clear. Like I think Ben's argument is very good, and and other people have said very similar thing is that services are continuous. Products are on a punctuated mm-hmm. schedule, and we can talk. We'll talk about the punctuated schedule too. You have to engineer services in a different way. You can't. You can't. Be working on a crunch to a deadline. I mean, yes, if there's features you're adding in an operating system, those service-related features have to be timed. We saw when that didn't happen with um, some recent OS releases where the features came, you know, weeks or months after the release of that version of the operating system. I'm trying to think of the one. What was it where it came out a month? Uh, iCloud Photo Library was that after the launch of? Uh, yeah. Yeah, like there was an eight point eight point uh, iOS eight. There were features that weren't available until like eight point two. Mm-hmm. So there's you know the issues there where there's clearly uh, a disjunct, um, but Apple wants to get into smaller uh, objectives for its operating system updates. It wants the tick and talk, as we'll talk about, of like how they update hardware. And I think if they could get their services into a flow, there's continuous improvements, and it's not this crunch thing. And it's not, you know, I don't know. There's just a reliability issue that I still find appalling um, in usability issues. Well. Uh, let's so, so speaking of tick and talk, let me just define that first because we we've been talking about that a bit. Is Apple is you know there's a lot of people who talk about this um, hardware release schedule now, especially uh, the iPhone as the principal uh, element of this is that there's a tick a talk here, and the tick is usually a form factor change, but the internals don't change that much, and the talk here is the same form factor. But suddenly you get a bigger camera, better uh, – you get force touch or 3D touch. You get other kinds of features being added that are much more significant and that seem to change the iPhone more. So it seems visually to change in year one. In year two, the refinement is um, a substantial hardware improvement, uh, You know, processors and other sorts of things, uh, memory. Um, and I think we want to talk a little bit about you know, a few different things. Like the iPhone SE has uh, been shipping for weeks, to some people at least – um, it's still broadly unavailable, and it's uh, the current wait is if you order online is uh, a target of May 11th to 17th to deliver. I finally broke down. My wife has needed one. Her battery's starting to fail. She has buttons failing on her iPhone 5, and we're like, and I realized at this point I wanted to do the trade-in, so we needed to go into the store. Uh, it's maybe worth nothing, so we're we're giving up. Like we'll go to Gazelle, and maybe we'll get 
$25 in credit for it or something, but we're giving up on the trade in and I ordered it. And, um, you know, I looked and like, if you, Hey, Hey, anybody listening who lives in Santa Rosa or near, I think it's Roseville. They apparently occasionally get a phone or two. Like the, that's the closest phone on the West coast to us where we could go in store and get one at any time. But I've never seen any availability in any store on the West coast besides those two. Um, so there's something still in the supply chain. Hopefully they get caught up and, um, should note also, uh, uh, just after, um, just before we recorded, Apple um, has added the iPhone upgrade plan, which has previously been available only in stores. You can now do it uh, online. You don't have to do it in stores. So you can get the Apple plan, which incorporates essentially a monthly fee broken out for um, Apple Care. So you don't pay the Apple. If you use Apple Care, uh, if you buy Apple Care Plus for uh, a phone or iPad, and you don't buy it at the time, uh, I'm sorry, you don't. Uh, uh, use the Apple. I'm saying this wrong. The Apple, the iPhone upgrade plan, uh, amortizes the cost of Apple Care Plus across the lifetime that you own the phone that you're paying for in that plan. So yeah. instead of paying uh, 99 or 129 dollars upfront when you buy a phone, which you have to do when you get it from a carrier, you pay a fraction of that each month. And so now that's available, and you're also doing the financing through Apple. It means I have Apple Care Plus for the first time in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nicer. It's more appealing when it's on a monthly basis, right? Because then it's like guess, you know, two, yeah. two bucks, and you're like, all right, well, it's worth it on that level. It if feels you like a phone. value add. It feels like I'm paying for the phone, and they threw that in for free, even yeah, though exactly. I'm, I'm paying for both, like technically. But you know, it, but it so, feels yeah, like when, I'm getting it for nothing. And if you upgrade your phone or you sell your phone, then you're no longer paying that. So you've only paid part of it. And a reminder, something we learned a few months ago that I didn't know, you can get a refund for unused portions of AppleCare and AppleCare Plus. You can write Apple, and if you sell your device, you can get the unused months back with uh, some limits. They subtract any service you've done, and I think this is a small fee. But um, uh, if you're going to sell a Mac and it still has you know, part of that three-year AppleCare if you bought it, or you're selling a mobile device and it has part of that two-year, get a refund. Did not know that, and I've been oh, <laughs> I've been doing that for years. I usually sell a device with the Apple Care intact because uh, it's a part of the sale price. Like, hey, you can buy this; it's a year and a half old, but it's got a year and a half or six months or whatever mm-hmm. left in Apple Care. So anything goes wrong, you're already covered, and you don't have to pay for it. I paid for that at the upfront part. Um, talk. So let, let's move into some of the hardware stuff. We've had like backlash week, is what it felt like. <laughs> Uh, new MacBook came Apple out. Which we talked, yeah, we talked Doomed. about the MacBook last week after it came out, and there was and uh, Apple Watch had its one year uh, release anniversary. And uh, so, you know, when we talked about the MacBook last week, we don't have to go over everything we discussed, but you know, we were disappointed in I think basically the hard drive spec and memory, but not so much. Um, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, "Why wasn't this totally overhauled?" I think, well, Apple never overhauls something one year in. I think the I want to say the MacBook Air. I don't know. A lot of products, like the the first, the second iPhone looked nothing like the first iPhone. The second iPad was totally different than the first iPad. I, well, yeah. wasn't no, the iPhone the iPhone and the iPhone three G though? Yeah, it got a totally different case. It looked different. But the inside was about, was almost identical though. That's I mean I think the thing is like the MacBook got a, yeah. a performance got a you know nice performance boost and we have uh, Roman Loyola has done a thorough review that's now up. Uh, in which he looks at uh, benchmarks, and the uh, the twelve inch MacBook is now uh, a pretty good performer compared to the MacBook Air. Its first release was a lot weaker, and people had kind of a problem. You got Retina, you got an okay processor. Uh, now, even with the MacBook Air performance bumps that came earlier this year, um, the twelve inch MacBook, the Retina MacBook, is now. Uh, much more comparable or even better than certain models, depending on the configuration you get. Yeah, um, they're they're getting a lot closer. 
But I mean, I mean, I, this is this is a TikTok thing. So you know, I didn't expect the MacBook to be overhauled. I thought they would advance things that were weaker, and the processor was one of them. But I think storage, like we said, is disappointing. The fact that you can't get 512 gig SSD on uh, some on the lower end models, um, and you can't get a one terabyte drive, which I wouldn't think there would be a heat or size issue for that compared to. Um, and I wouldn't think that would be an issue. Maybe it is, and I don't know. But I, I, it feels like a missing piece that you can't upgrade to one terabyte in this day and age. It could be. I mean, and, and this is the cloud computer. So if there's one yeah. Mac that has wimpier storage, it w- would be this one. I mean, the 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 lowest end MacBook Air starts at only 128 gigs of storage. So at least you know it starts at 256. But like, yeah, I you know. So the, what it is is pretty good, and Roman's review is very positive, and I, I like how he compared it to not just the MacBook that came before, but the MacBook Pros and the MacBook Air and even the iPad Pro because those are getting a lot closer now too, and it, it's really kind of coming down to personal preference. Um, so it what it is is pretty good. I think you know a lot of people were just hoping that it would go a little further because, I mean, that's kind of like the refrain every time Apple puts something out because they've surprised and delighted us so many times in the past that – we just, you know, our our hearts want what they want, I guess. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's, I I don't know. I I think I have a um, I guess my problem is I, I think the I mean I really like my MacBook, but I also I I was dealing or I was interacting with the the notion that people were, uh, and a lot of people who've been in the Mac world for a long time were expecting essentially a new computer mm-hmm. as opposed to a revision, and I I think. Uh, this goes back to people feeling that the the 2015 MacBook was inadequate, where I don't feel it was at all. I feel it needed a boost, and it did. It got a boost. But I I love this machine as much as I've loved any Mac. And I sort of, I, I wish the keyboard were better, but it, it's not a halting point for me. It's not something that makes me angry. Um, in fact, when my, my younger son was typing out the other day, his, uh, my wife was out of town. He was writing her email on my machine to send to her. And uh, he's like, oh, I really like this keyboard. I'm like, you're the only one, buddy. That's cool, though. And he's... He liked the action better than the uh, oh, MacBook, nice. that, uh, MacBook Pro that he uh, his brother share. Yeah, I think people who got it are probably more positive. So maybe the disappointment is coming ah, from people who were waiting they were because waiting they were like they didn't machine. buy it last year and they were hoping that you know like next year it would be even better, like maybe a tiny bit lighter, maybe an extra port, maybe Thunderbolt three, all the things that you know like we talked about being bummed. About um, so maybe yeah they were kind of waiting and they were waiting to to buy it you know the the revised one and then the fact that this is just a processor bump they were like oh man now I gotta I gotta decide if I'm gonna wait even more for the second port or if I'm gonna just go ahead and buy this one knowing that the next one might be the big revision I um, you, you know maybe I feel well. silly yeah. that I didn't just buy last year's I could have been enjoying it this whole time so. I think there's a good. Uh, if you want to see a good pair of contrasting uh, items, there's uh, Mashable had like uh, they came up with an early uh, kind of clickbaity article about like oh, I still you know I wrote this all what the writer actually referred to a bunch of stuff he wrote in 2015 and basically refreshed it and said blah. and then uh, <laughs> our friend Christina Warren it was fun. I mean it was I disagreed with a lot of the stuff in it especially the notion that you're going to plug um, I think it was a John Gruber somebody was making fun of the fact that guy had drawn these. Hand drawn illustrations showing like all the stuff he wanted to plug into it. He wanted to plug Someone a keyboard said, into it. 
yeah, why do you want to plug a keyboard into a device that has a keyboard unless you're using a dock, in which case then you have the dock. And I think it also disregarded the amount of docks that are out there, which, you know, I keep mentioning I've got reviews at MacBook.com. And like every keyboard is Bluetooth now. Like there's well, no yeah. there's no only wired keyboards. Like why well, did have, you get that? Did you go I back two, in time uh, to like the Radio Shack on Mars and buy a wired keyboard? I love my wired keyboards. I use them with my wired computer. I don't yeah. have, a, I have wireless keyboards. I plug it into my monitor and then, you know, yeah, I got one thing to connect. It's a different market, but um, then our friend Christina Warren wrote a, a like essentially a great love letter. <laughs> Her feelings of mine are very similar. She especially liked you know the new rose gold option, but it was a good sense of contrast. And she loves the machine, and she was writing about it from the perspective of uh, respecting the design choices. Um, yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's a funny thing. It's a mirror on people's uh, computer soul. But I think you I think you have the right idea there. It's people who didn't buy it or buy into it are disappointed that it's the same machine only yeah. improved. Yeah, so now they have to make that same you know decision again. Like, am I going to wait yeah. a little longer, or well, am I going to just go ahead and get this one? A lot of people want an improved MacBook Air, and that's not coming. I mean, it's pretty clear there's not going to be an improved MacBook Air. The MacBook Air is going to slide out and down, and oh, the MacBook is going to get more, like don't you think? MacBook Air. The MacBook will get more sophisticated, and eventually it'll be the low-end machine. And yeah. It'll a couple models. They'll do a 12 and a 14-inch or something that'll be the equivalent of the 11. Well, it's weird. They almost could do a smaller MacBook of all things because the uh, the uh, Mac the twelve inch MacBook has a screen that is actually uh, not much smaller than the thirteen inch MacBook Air. Um, yeah, they're, they they seem pretty comparable. In some I've, yeah, I did some. I mean, you could put. It was funny. I think I took my. I had a Mac a thirteen inch MacBook Air, and I put my twelve uh, inch MacBook, and it fit entirely inside the keyboard and screen space. Because of all the bezel and area, yeah. It was this first, it was it was kind of fun. But so, would they make an a you know a ten inch? They're not going to make a ten inch MacBook, are they? That's an iPad Pro. Uh, oh uh, yeah, just to have two sizes. Yeah, that'd I be don't cool. know. Maybe they won't. Maybe it'll just be a twelve inch. They should keep the MacBook, MacBook Air around, and like you know, I mean, they still have that one Retina, that thirteen inch. I'm sorry, the thirteen inch non Retina MacBook Pro, like that one with the optical drive that's still like just hanging around. It's oh, like an education market device, apparently. Yeah, they the should keep device. the MacBook Air like for that same reason, and they don't have to do much to it. They can just you know bump the processor every once in a while. Uh, they they did, did. They did give it more RAM standards, so. Yeah. Um, that's something. Oh, um, but one, one keep it around because I, I like it. The MacBook uh, that Roman Loyal got the answer from Apple about Thunderbolt 3, which yes. I have not seen anywhere else. Chip and thermal considerations don't fit with the MacBook's fanless design was their reaction. Uh, so they can't fit the thing in there and have it not overheat. <laughs> so uh, there'll be new, you know, new generations of chips always. like you know, Thunderbolt 3 is not even really out in any substantive way. So you know, conceivably, maybe this is a 2017 bump for the MacBook, and we'll see it in MacBook Pros because of fans uh, sooner. Um, there's speculation about whether there'll be new Mac hardware updates at WWDC, where they sometimes do Mac hardware updates, or at least they, they do something, um, because we are getting pretty, as we talked about last week, pretty far behind. But um, It's just going to be Mac- hard for them to keep putting, keep fitting the hardware in just to the keynote and not have it be so long, because um, the because of the services, again, they have so many more things. They're talking about. I mean, there's rumors yeah. that they're going to bring Siri to the Mac, so that and they're talking to the developers, so they got to you know tease all the new software things and and you know tell the developers where the platform is going because that's really you know the the you know, where they the, advance uh, the platform. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they paid all the money for. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, the first 
keynote I ever saw was a WWC, and that's when they um, released the Mac Pro, the big tower Mac Pro, the first one, the first mm-hmm. Intel one. Um, and that was a huge deal because the developers were like the pro users. So that made sense. But yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think they have so many software things to talk about now. They've got Watch OS, they got TV OS, plus iOS and Mac OS. It's going to be one of those keynotes where they whip through things so fast, and then we're like, what just happened? So yeah, there might not hours. be time for Macs, but maybe. At the end, oh, and by the way, a bunch of new iMacs. Why? Like, what? <laughs> what was that? Wait, what do you say? Mac Pro? What? Yeah. Um, Apple Watch Backlash. Now, Apple Watch Backlash. So it's been out for a year. This is uh, this gets us into similar territory, although I think it's a much more mixed subject. Uh, the the idea that, that Apple Watch is a failed product when, um, by some estimates, it's grossed $6 billion in its first year. It's really, and it's probably, you know, within that range, highly profitable for Apple. It's I'm bigger sure than Pebble the, would love that that failure, I'm sure. Uh, was it Rolodex has, Job I think someone pointed out, Rolodex's annual revenue is $4.5 billion. Uh, so it's created, you know, the largest, one of the largest watch businesses in the world. It, uh, Did you supplanted, say Rolodex or Rolex? Rolodex, sorry, <laughs> Rolex. I was Rolex. like, dang, that's a lot of Rolodexes they're selling over there. <laughs> they have, uh, they have a lock. I'm sorry, Rolex. Yes, it's done. It did about four. They really 6. have a monopoly on the little twirly thing where you put people's names and then yes. Uh, I think Rolex has actually had a big decline in uh, in sales, but uh, I'm not finding. Yeah, it's four and a half billion dollars is uh, the 2015 revenue for Rolex. Um, so you know, you're calling something. This is the problem with punditry. They have to find an angle. And so people want to call it failed because it doesn't meet their vision of what it should be. You know, Rolex doesn't have to support those with services after they well, sell that's true. them. <laughs> that's true too. But it's, uh, it's just this interesting narrative that because it doesn't meet certain folks' ideas of how it should look or they're trying to go negative on Apple so they can have a contrarian view – um, I don't. I know. I sold my. I sold my watch. We talked about this. You kept yours. You wrote a great essay uh, just this last week about. Um, you know. You still watch your wear your. You still wear your watch. You don't watch your wear every day. And, uh, and yeah, a lot I'm like genuinely sad on days I forget it. It doesn't yeah. happen a lot. I wear it almost every day. But if I forget it, I'm like, oh, I forgot my Apple Watch. But you listed off a lot of great, uh, great reasons how it works for you. And what I would say, the thing I keep finding interesting about the Apple Watch is, I think it is. Highly problematic from a software and hardware standpoint. Um, yet it's not unusable. It's not like a crappy device. It's just that because of the combination of choices and limitations it has, I feel like it has um, – the people I know who really like it have found, like you have, a number of specific things that work rather than it being a more general device. So a yeah. number of people I know say – Oh, I don't run apps on it. I'm like, well, but it runs. So like, yeah, I just don't run apps. It so doesn't like, feel like a wrist computer. It feels like a little, it feels like a watch. It feels like right. a watch that does some smart things, but it's not like, you know, your iPhone like feels like a freaking computer. Like you can do so many things on it and your iPad and all that stuff. And this does not feel like a computer on my wrist. It just feels like a watch and a really, really like the best fitness tracker I've ever used. And then the, it's a, fitness tracker that has all these little value added things like it can tell me the temperature and it can set alarms and i mean my fitness trackers could do the alarm parts but yeah it's 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 a really great fitness tracker and watch with some side things so i mean there was a rumor just this week that the next watch might have cellular connectivity and um and then and that would and, and apple's making all the apps go native so we might see better better app performance soon even if we don't get new hardware but the the rumor about the new hardware with cellular connectivity, I mean, I should have been like really excited, but I was also, I mean, a little bit, I was like, oh, 
great, I'm going to have to pay for you know a data plan on another device. So I hope they figure out a way to avoid that. Um, but I was like, you know, it does. I'm using it for a lot of things. I was trying to think of like what I would use it, like how cellular connectivity would change my patterns with it. And I couldn't really think of anything, but maybe it's like, you know, that's just, there's more little uses that, that we haven't come up oh, with yet because it doesn't I think have a lot that. Of, a lot of runners would love to not have to take their phone with them, basically. Yeah. I know yeah. you don't have to. I know you can get fitness and other features, but then you're totally, if you want to have. The only thing you're missing is you can't go back and see the little route in your app of where you ran. But oh, I no, never go make, back and look at that. Like it actually. You a phone call or get text messages though. I mean, this, like the basic stuff yeah, you're out yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't I don't think a phone is a big burden to carry, but I think there are I'm sure there's a very large subset of people who if they could just wear the Apple Watch for most of the day, or they could leave their phone in their office or at home and go do errands or whatever. Especially if you have the really it. big phone. Yeah, exactly. As long as the charge lasts and you could play you know, if you can stream music from it to your um car stereo system and you bring headphones, bring Bluetooth headphones if you want to listen to music or make a call or whatever, then it really it can replace the iPhone for a lot of purpose or for a lot of the non app purposes. Uh, or, no, sorry, not even the non-app purposes, but like the non-screen-based like screen based purposes. It if would you let you take breaks from your phone a little more yeah. than it does now. But I think, now I think it's like runners, a second screen for your phone. I got to say runners and bikers I think would be the big thing is where they don't want to be unable to call in an emergency or connect with people or text to meet up or whatever. You know, it's very clear that we won't get a GPS in this thing anytime soon. I, I think that's um, everything I've read in all the competing devices, including Garmin's um, that are more fitness tracker, like uh, – I don't think it's possible to get the battery usage right and the size right. Get a yeah, GPS that's system. fine. Maybe even uh, a GPS cellular- smart band where you could have it when you really wanted it, but you wouldn't have to have it on there all the time. Well, if you put cellular in, though, you could actually do fairly decent tracking. You can record um, cellular tower information, then later you would down. I mean, and I don't you know can find my Apple Watch. Well, yeah, but I mean, cellular, like if you're running any path, um, the, the phone could passively, I mean, the phone is, if, if you've got a cellular radio in a device it's constantly updating a map of nearby cellular base stations to which it can connect this is just a uh, like a background activity that all cellular devices do while they're turned on so apple could be very smart and it could record that information as a snapshot and just you know instead of dumping it it could write a log every second or 10 seconds use that to later do a, a triangulation computation um it doesn't even have to be scanning Wi-Fi, but it could also be doing Wi-Fi positioning, scanning and recording all the Wi-Fi networks around, and not use the Apple Watch to do the computation, but say, when you get home, as soon as it syncs with your phone, it then does the update, and it you know, sends the information over, does all the calculation on cloud servers or whatever, and dumps it back in there, and you get your route. And the route would be you know, accurate probably to within like 10 to 50 meters along your path. So as long as you're not trying to get it exact, it would actually show the route you did. Uh, I mean, this is how... Um, you know, this already works with the iPhone effectively, but it tries to do it live over Wi-Fi. Um, you know, GPS is more exact, it's for sure, but there are definitely other techniques you can use. Um, the the related thing is there was an article in Gizmodo uh, that our Macalope had um, had uh, lampooned, and uh, while I wouldn't speak against the Macalope, of course, um, I I found a lot of points in it I agree with. I didn't think I thought was it had the a, one with like, the, the buttons. It was the my, yes. my god awful year with the Apple Watch. I mean, it's got a. It had John a, Gruber like was like agreed with like he thought that 
the guy made good points about the buttons being confusing, and I was like, "How are you still confused by the buttons?" Like, John, I don't know. I got Rupert over that pretty same, quickly. I, I had that same reaction. I used it for eight months. Six? No, wait. How long did I have it for? I had it for yeah, six, eight months, and I wore it every day for a big chunk of that time. Then I started forgetting to wear it, and I could never figure out what the buttons did. And oh I, man! And okay. Never. It never became second nature to me. I, and then I don't like. I mean, I basically don't like app navigation, app selection. Um, I don't like how glimpses work. I don't like the functions. I don't think the friends thing is sort of ridiculously designed. Like all that stuff, which all the people I know who like the watch don't really use those features at all. Yeah, that's so, true. I guess I don't really use those. I was going to say, it's like, but those things were, drove me nuts. Um, but I thought there were a bunch of good points in it. It was it was definitely over the top and trying to make up, you know, do a, um, uh, get people to kind of, yeah, uh, whatever. But I thought there was some really, and the person also did say, the writer did note things they liked about the watch, the things they found were useful. Here's where I come out, though. This is where I want to talk about the tick and talk again, is that a lot of the times, like let's say uh, if this were a few years ago, Apple would have a 1.0 product or like a new rev of the phone, and within the, a year, you'd get another one. Here, Apple introduced the features to us mostly in September of 2014, they shipped it six months later. It's a year in. There's no new version. And we don't think there's going to be a new version by all reports until fall or maybe even later. So there'll be sort of a two-year cycle between when we first heard what it was going to be and a version that is a refinement of it. Now, even though the software has gotten improved, uh, the software, is, it's the hardware or the optimization of it is still that it's too slow or too um, inconsistent about how long it takes to do certain things to be a risk computer, as you say. So... I have a feeling we're getting more backlash because it feels like an older project product that hasn't matured. Um, one argument is that watch OS three could come sooner, could come before new hardware. Mm-hmm. And if it runs on the original watch, it has to, and, well, <laughs> and, yeah, I know what would you do? So potentially that could have a lot more optimization and maybe make it feel better. But even if it's, you know, mostly intended for a new watch, but, uh, I think that's the thing is I feel like we're people who bought it or wanted to get into it. And now they're thinking about it being a two year cycle. Winds up seeming slow and out of phase, even though I think Apple is generally moving to these longer product cycles uh, everywhere. And this is a good transition for us to talk about the uh, putative iPhone 7, where this would normally be a tick year for Apple, where they may have a new uh, form factor or some new thing. And the features that are expected so far are fairly minor, even for a tick year. So the iPhone might get off the TikTok schedule as well and just be doing, you know, more incremental development with punctuated at a longer period, maybe in a four-year cycle for really big overhauls as opposed to a, you know, every other year um, tick and talk. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, with the iPhone, it's more like the case design. So if they if they add a lot of features but don't give it a new case, um, the, the one that comes out this fall, 2016, People are gonna people are gonna think that that's that's a a minor update, even if yeah. like what they add is really significant. It'll feel like another S year. It'll feel like S year two. S year two. And that's that been that's go. been the latest rumor that like they might um they might wait until next year to do the big revision, and that would sort of be poetic too because next year is ten years of iPhones. So. Oh yeah, yeah. So they could be like, okay, like we'll just, you know, we'll stutter step this year just to, to, to make next year like the really big one. Because it would be sort of a shame to be like iPhone 7S, you know, that's the 10th anniversary edition. Um, yeah. Ooh, you know what they should do for the 10th anniversary one? I just said the word edition and it made me think of, a, Class- of, of an all gold oh. uh, iPhone. Because I think that was <clears throat> maybe one of the most genius things about the Apple Watch is that Apple – 
just so brazenly sold like the exact same function at three wildly different price points, you know, just based on like the materials and the hardware. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, so smart. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you get the same experience for $350, which is now $300 that you do if you go in and spend 17 grand. It's the same thing. It works exactly the same. One is not better than the other at the end of the day, except that, you know, it's gold. That's, That's so really crazy. Cool. So I, I don't know. I was, check, I was talking with uh, Craig Maud about this. Craig is a fantastic essayist. He's a photographer, a writer. He travels the world. He goes to remote villages. I'm not exactly sure what he does. He's a super <laughs> interesting guy. Um, but he's like a publisher and a writer and, he, and um, uh, a thinker and entrepreneur and uh, just a super interesting person. And he's written – I recommend uh, – like if you had a, a week to contemplate technology, just read. Go to Craig Maud. Uh, MOD.com and just read his essays he wrote. He just writes beautifully about things that open up your mind about uh, tech without being fetishistic about tech. It's really great. And so he took the, uh, there's a review he wrote not long ago called about the Leica Q, uh, which is this very fancy, I think it's a, uh, a $5,000, maybe more camera. Um, that is like the most amazing thing. Uh, sorry, $4,250, excuse me. Um, <laughs> and, but he didn't write about it as like, oh, isn't this a God amazing thing? It's like he traveled with it for months and, um, and it has a lot of interesting characteristics that let it function uh, like better than digital, better than film almost. It's like an incredible, um, incredible travel camera. So and now, now, of course, after reading that essay and looking at the camera, which I'm not about to buy, Amazon litter and Google litter my things with, buy the Leica Q. It's only 40. You're like, no, yeah. I'm not going to buy this thing. Shut <laughs> up. Um, so Craig and I, he's got a great, uh, great sense of aesthetics, uh, Craig has. And uh, he said he preferred the original iPhone's looks. He think it's actually the best design. When I was like, oh, well, Apple could come out with a classic edition. <laughs> Did you and, see when the Apple Watch came out and you put the Apple Watch next to the first-gen iPhone? They look like oh, twins. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But, they both have the same kind of boxy, you know, unapologetically, like, square, oh, rectangly sort of thing going on. I think so, I yeah, saw like, that. That would be really cool. They could put out a retro iPhone that was, like, amazing we know but Apple looked just today, like the first one. They would never do it. We know them. They have, they have no sentimentality about it. Actually, I mean, Craig uh, – Tim Cook definitely has – more sentiment than Steve Jobs did, for sure. I mean, in the interest of like looking back but not being obsessed by it. So maybe they might do something, but I don't. I, I don't know. It'd just be a dream, though. Can you imagine the original iPhone um, in every way except it's got you know an A10 or whatever A9X, whatever the processor? That could be the is. gold one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be cool. Sorry, I'm but, just obsessed with making everything gold right now. Oh, I know, I know. It's just, but it's so. I think I don't know. I think we're in a very interesting point in uh, in development, especially as people who talk every week about Apple products. It's we, you know, some things are stalled and need updates. Some things have been updated enough where you're like, do we really need to have this in a faster cycle? We were talking for a while about the OS. Uh, cycle like God would Apple slow down and they did you know iOS nine was incremental El Capitan was incremental they didn't try to overwhelm us both releases were much better much less rocky than the previous releases and I'm like that's great like I can deal with an OS that has um, more changes in 2016 if they do that you know I could deal with a September thing because I haven't spent months and months dealing with problems with the OS and incompatible applications and weird stuff I mean El Capitan I would say them going to a public beta, the whole situation with system integrity protection or SIP, which is a great security feature for the Mac, um, and it has some people concerned about what it means for the future of being able to install arbitrary applications. Uh, but it's great because they had the public 
uh, beta of that and let anybody in, and developers had plenty of time to work with it, all of the problems with SIP were basically solved around launch time. The only exception was default folder, where the developer took an extra you know, month or so to finish a complete overhaul, which was long overdue in his own estimation of it, and then released something that has... Uh, is only missing a couple weird little system things he cannot do in El Capitan, but is actually a huge improvement in interface and functionality over the previous release. So I was like, this is great. A little more time, a lot more public interaction to let more people try stuff, and it's calmer. Um, I don't I don't mind not being it being so frenetic. I think this WWC is going to be one of the best ones yet. There's, there's oh, so much they have to tell us. I can't wait. That's great. I like that. Well, good. Optimism. Yep, optimism. I'm optimistic. Uh, I think we've covered. Of course, the, you know, the earnings report is a couple hours from now, so doom. <laughs> I know our time. We record. We record exactly at the time when it's hard to report on certain kinds of news, folks. But I know you don't come to us for breaking news. You're looking. If you've listened to the end of the show, it means you are actually listening to us because you want us to chat about what's going on. And speaking of you, the listener, yes, you, uh, Roger J. Stone of uh, Fort Wayne. I know you're listening. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can find us online at Macworld.com, which you know, but you can also email us, podcast at Macworld.com, and you can post comments at Macworld.com. You can find us online. I'm uh, on Twitter at Glenn F, G-L-E-N-N-F, and Susie is at S-F, Suze, S-F-S-O-O-Z as in Z. And uh, let us know what you think. We've been getting more feedback lately, which is helpful, helps us figure out what is interesting to you all, and uh, so we can answer questions and, and direct things, but uh, love to have you listening, and uh Susie, great to talk to you again this week. Great to talk to you as always. A pleasure. And this has been the Mac World Podcast, episode 505 for April 27th, 2016. We'll be back to talk with you next week.